You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Leadership Gap. The Leadership Gap. The Leadership Gap. The Leadership Gap. A podcast of unboring conversations and practical tools intended to have you bridge your own leadership gaps. We're your hosts, Jonathan Miller, he, him, and Laura Banks, she, her. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Leadership Gap. The Leadership Gap, the most epic leadership podcast on the planet. Planet, planet, planet. And uh, today we're talking about how to be a friend and be a boss at the same time. Yeah, this isn't a doozy, right? Because it seems like this is an either or yeah. kind of choice. And and it, and it can really seem like that. It can really feel like that. And I know that uh, I've come up to situations where it seems like you just have to choose one or the other. We have a, be- a lot of beliefs about hierarchies and workplaces that will kind of deconstruct in this episode. But before that, I have a question for you, John. Oh my gosh, what's the, what's the question? Have you ever had a boss that was also a friend? I have, yeah. I think about a boss in my last full-time corporate gig uh jerry big shout out to jerry if he's actually listened to this podcast <laughs> highly doubt it um yeah i would i would consider him a friend and he was also a boss and um i know that we had lots of great conversations at the workplace around work of course um and outside the workplace as well about more personal matters including you know like a topic like religion and stuff like that and um it was a really enjoyable fruitful conversation how about you yeah oh man my my ex boss Garth, uh, he was awesome. He's as awesome as his name is. And side note, also kind of looks like Kevin Bacon. Yeah, totally looks like Kevin Bacon. So it's just all around eerie. awesome. Like all, all stop around. in the street. Yeah. I think you're Kevin Bacon. Kind of look alike. <laughs> um, anyway, he was really wonderful. He was authentic and vulnerable with me. And he was also someone who could say no, and I would respect his decision making. So there was that that boss element where he was making decisions on behalf of our team, um, but also just like being a human being with me, which I really very much appreciated. And I guess why we're queuing up this episode with that question is because we know from our own experience, at least, that we've seen it done quite masterfully like really finding the balance between boss and friends so we know that there's a middle ground to be found and i guess that's what we're going to talk about today how do you find that middle ground how do you really uh you know set those boundaries around boss and friend and and find that perfect balance in that relationship yeah and we've been having a lot of conversations lately about people stepping into roles of boss um after having run a team of maybe friends who are starting an organization or people moving into different roles in their organization. Um, And all of that can be kind of tricky if you haven't really thought about it before. And some of the challenges that we specifically heard are things coming around conflict between organizational goals and maybe more personal goals. Yeah, like as a leader. Yeah. Uh, Not setting clear boundaries between that kind of friendship and I don't know, for lack of a better word, like managership mm-hmm. uh, and and how to be both powerful in your role, but also highly relatable and likable, because that's also like a key factor of being a great leader. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a cool skill for like anyone to have is like, how do you be powerful, set boundaries, like, you know, really live your truth while also being, you know, a compassionate, relatable human being? Yeah. Yeah. So to put this into perspective, we want to tell you about Alex. 
this this is a story based on you know actually a variety of different client stories but we mashed them into one yeah so here's the story of alex alex is a high performer and absolutely dedicated to making a massive impact within their organization and alex actually joined this nonprofit really early on like right right near the inception and years later now alex is finding themselves running the organization and at a relatively young age especially compared to some of their colleagues mm. before alex stepped into their new role people knew alex as likable helpful service oriented and kind however in this new role Alex is actually finding that they have different priorities, right? Especially responding to a board of directors, keeping them accountable. Uh, they just have to be much more rigorous about their alignment to the company's missions, the or organization's mission above all else. Mm. And Alex is having a really hard time reconciling that and honoring the integrity of those already existing working relationships. Yeah, that's tricky. So for instance, back in the day, Alex had a colleague come up to them and say they really wanted a raise. So Alex and this colleague kind of brainstorm and Alex shared a bunch of ideas that they had about how to get a raise. And then the colleague went, asked for the raise, and they got it. Woohoo! Yay, win. <laughs> now fast forward a number of years, there's Alex in this new role and the same colleague comes up and asks for a raise and Alex said no. Womp womp. Yeah, so whether Alex had a good reason to say no or not, there may just be something there, like in this space between these two people. It's like, a bit awkward, I guess. Yeah, it might it might cause might some awkward. awkwardness. It might cause a even just a small erosion in the relationship, if not a bigger one, right? And that's kind of Alex's dilemma right here. Is like, how do you step into this new role while managing this existing relationship that you've already created? where at that time you may have had much more similar roles. Right, yeah. And now Alex is finding that they have all sorts of feelings about this, and you might have these same things as well These in this new dynamic. Yeah, that, some of the things we've heard are like sadness, loneliness, imposter syndrome, doubt is a huge thing. You could be questioning yourself in this position, and there's a lack of there could be a lack of trust in the team. But specifically, like feeling disconnected from others above all else. Yeah, and listen, th this is not an uncommon problem no. for for leaders this in any organization. Very yeah, we all know that it's important that those following you like you, are inspired by you, and your vision, and want to take action in alignment with the goals and objectives that you set. And there are also times where um, you, you know need to set boundaries. Yeah, we just got to have those boundaries set. So the question is, this is the kind of the question we want to we want to ask is like, how does one strike that balance? Right. Yeah. And so in this example, there's a lot at play that could be making the situation more difficult than it needs to be, like organizational culture. How are other people in the organization framing boundaries and pay scale, et cetera, et cetera. Another thing at play, which is always at play, is interpretations of the situation by the manager, Alex, or by the direct reports. Also past relationships around what the role of manager means or what relationships you've had in the past also inform these types of relationships, any relationship really. There's a whole bunch of things at play here, but we're gonna give you our top strategy on how to find that balance in this situation. 
This can be with new hires, it can be with existing employees, colleagues, etc. The underlying principle of the strategy is really just setting clear expectations. Unsaid expectations result in assumptions, and assumptions ultimately erode relationships. I'm going to say that again. (laughs) Wait, what? Unsaid expectations result in assumptions. And assumptions ultimately erode relationships. So knowing that this underlying principle is all around setting clear expectations, there's only one way to do that. And that's in a conversation with somebody. So in, for example, with Alex, what Alex will do is set up a one-to-one meeting with this colleague or any individual that they want to set these clear expectations with. Mm -hmm. And you might also be wondering, well, who should I have this meeting with? Well, if you're unsure of how to approach the relationship with someone that you work with, you should definitely have this conversation with them. And frankly, if you're leading an organization, you know, we really invite you to consider having this conversation that we're going to outline with everyone you oversee, period, whether whether they're, whether or not there is like a weirdness there mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. You can even have this conversation semi-regularly as a check-in. And this this is just going to create way more trust in your relationship with that person. And when it comes to this conversation, we recommend approaching this conversation in three steps. The first is set the intention. Second is get curious. And third is co-create expectations. That last, that last part is key. Co-create the expectations. So once again, set the intention get curious, and then co-create expectations. So let's see how these three steps apply to our example with Alex. The first thing Alex would do is set the intention in this meeting. So here's what we'd recommend Alex say. This is like the flavor of it. Essentially, you know, if I'm Alex, I would say something like, I wanted to set up this meeting with you because I think it's really important to talk about the dynamics of our relationship. I feel a little unsure of how to proceed because, um, you know, I have new roles and responsibilities and expectations from the organization and how it is I'm going to perform, etc. And I wanted to, you know, create a shared understanding so that we can move forward in friendship and professionally, like very powerfully. And I, I like that example as well because I'm I'm thinking about this and some of us might think that that sounds outrageous to say in the workplace, right? To just be like so open and say like, oh, this might be weird between us. Yeah. You know, but it's a bit vulnerable. The thing is, is that that kind of authenticity, that's power. Yeah. People don't want to hear me fronting. They don't want my BS. They don't want my work persona. They want me and they want you as well. And they want us to show up authentically and to tell the truth about how we're feeling because that's how we connect with other, with others. It's through the heart, not the head. And so there's real power in that vulnerability. And if you want proof, just Google Brene Brown's TED Talk. She'll tell you all about it. <laughs> it takes a lot of courage and we recognize that. And like Jonathan said, it, it really is. Vulnerability and authenticity is power. As a bonus, Alex could also state their commitment. I like to state my commitment sometimes in these conversations. So on top of maybe, you know, painting a picture of what this conversation is about, setting the intention, the tone for the conversation, 
Alex could say something about what they're committed to. Like they might say, well, I want to continue having an amazing relationship with you that balances these two priorities, my new role and the trust that's built up between us. And I love that. Just like kind of pushing forward, like this is what I'm committed to. I'm committed to like, you know, making sure we have an amazing relationship together. I just think that's a cool (laughs) cool thing to enter in the conversation. So step one we just did was setting the intention. And now we jump into step two, getting curious. Now, this is a critical step. Why it's important is because at the end of the day, we only have our own perspectives, right? So Alex only has their perspective. If things are weird for Alex, they may not be weird for the colleague. Alex might be making a bunch of meaning out of this kind of stuff. So the reason we get curious and then one reason we get curious in life is because we're really collecting all the missing pieces of the puzzle. We only have so much data from our one perspective. And that's really why we want to get curious, get all that missing data, any of the, that missing information, just remove any assumptions that might be in play, you know, misinterpretations, all that kind of stuff. So in Alex's case, they could ask questions like, what has been your experience with me as a friend versus a boss? What has been working for you and what hasn't been working for you? In the past, have you ever had bosses that you found a great balance with you? And what was that like? What did you like? What did you dislike? If you had your dream boss, what would that be like? What would they do and say? I I love those last two questions, by the way. Like going back into the past, like, hey, tell me about a time you had a boss that was just like really great. What did you like about them? Because then you're actually like finding out a great, like way to model yourself in a way that's going to work really well with them or at least some options to model yeah some options yeah just to get that data and that that next one is like if you had your dream boss so maybe in the past they didn't have a boss that was really great for them what would their dream boss be like because then you can really again get more of that information more of that data give yourself some more options on how to model yourself um, to be a really great leader for this specific person And this curiosity is really a key trait of what separates good leaders from great leaders. Um, So, you know, asking someone what their magical boss might be like doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to live fully into that picture, but you're really just getting a sense of what their ideals are so that you can come to a shared kind of compromise. One thing that we also talked about, Laura, is this idea that might be coming up for for our listeners right now is, well, what if they're not really being straightforward? What if they're being a little bit dishonest? If we ask them, like, what's working and not working, sometimes people are scared to give feedback, especially to, to, their, boss. to their boss. Yeah, right? that makes sense. <laughs> and listen, this isn't. there's no easy way around this. Our The way that kind of we operate is at the end of the day, you have to take people at their word. That's, yeah. that's all there is to do is just that if they say that everything is fine or everything is good, you just take them at their word. And there might be an impact later of them being dishonest. You'll just you'll cross that bridge when you get there. But at the time, if they're, they're saying everything is good, I love you as a boss, you're doing great, then that's what the feedback is. And it's up to them to um, really state the truth so that they could create a relationship that they want as well. Yeah. And it- You know, another thing that just came to my mind was giving them time to kind of process this conversation because it's not a normal conversation to have with your boss about like what's working and what isn't. And so, you know, it might be like a series of conversations you have versus just this one, um, just to make sure that that person feels comfortable and at ease with giving feedback because really giving feedback isn't really part of 
like organizational culture most of the time. <laughs> yeah, and some people are just uncomfortable with their feelings, right? <laughs> yeah. And and that's just a risk you take when you get vulnerable. But you know, it's mine and Laura's experience that this happens a minority of the time. Yeah. And most of the time, people will appreciate when you open up. So we do encourage you to take that leap of faith. Totally. Okay. End rant on curiosity. The third step. So first, we set the intention. We got curious. Then the third and final step is we are looking to co-create expectations. Co-create? What does that mean? Well, co-create is kind of like if you think about the word co-create. So we're creating expectations. Together. Together. That's Mm -hmm. the key is we're not just creating them on one side and then presenting like, here are your expectations. You know, it's uh, it's co-created. And um, I guess what's the advantage of co-creating expectations rather than just creating them? Buy-in. When something is co-created, there's more buy-in for the process, the expectations, the ideas, because they are shared ideas versus someone else's ideas that are being imposed on another. And we love our own ideas. I know I do. (laughs) Mine are better. (laughs) (laughs) And in our example, had Alex gone and co-created those expectations, I bet they would have found some cool things about their colleague. So for example, maybe their colleague really appreciated independent work, or maybe they really appreciated an overall understanding of the business strategy and vision so they can better understand Alex's decisions, right? And those kind of expectations could open up a whole other conversations on how workflow and reporting is done. And it could really open up the floor to Alex's uh, direct report to ask any questions around those things and um, make that a really seamless process. And honestly, when all employees um, can feel comfortable giving organizations feedback, those are the best functioning organizations because you're creating buy-in with everyone um, in the process of how things function, right? So when we're talking about co-creation, we're not talking about, you know, having your employee dictate how you behave. So obviously there's still organizational mandates to fulfill on, your own personal professional goals that you need to take into consideration. And so boundaries will need to be drawn. So in terms of Alex's example, we might recommend them saying something like, sometimes I'll make decisions that you might not like, and your input is always valuable, and you're welcome to challenge me on those decisions at any time. And I I love the way that you put that, because it just, I don't know, if someone told that to me, I would really create... um, like just like a safe space, like uh, like it creates safety in the relationship. Like I know that I can always book a meeting to say what is and isn't working, knowing that you might not like you might make decisions that I don't like and that I'm 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 welcome to come challenge you. So, again, there might be situations you encounter where you're being challenged and the request actually doesn't work for you or the organization. So in that case, saying no, that doesn't work is totally okay. There's really nothing wrong with no's, which is a whole other podcast episode that we could talk about. The key here is just that we're setting expectations and that there's no room for assumptions. Alex's direct report might not like them as much, but there will be more trust and a stronger foundation to the relationship as boss and colleague. Okay, so to recap, we got set the intentions, get curious, and co-create expectations. Now, 
As always on this podcast, you might start to notice a little theme. We give you a quick fix at the beginning, but really there's some other stuff going on that is way juicier than the quick fix. Super juicy. So we're going to peel back the layers here. Now, consider that what might be really going on beneath this, maybe, just maybe, is a myth that's at play. A myth that more is better. This underlying belief that most of us have, I'd say, this belief that more is better. More money, more status, more responsibility, more power, and more makes me better. I think that's the kicker right there. Yeah. So in in Alex's, in our example, right, Alex gets put into this new role, and now Alex is making more money, has more power, has more responsibility. And if you asked Alex, they might say, oh, yeah, well, this is a really good thing, right? Now, if the direct report didn't get to step into that role and was maybe asked to step into that role, they might say, well, this, this, is, is, not, not this is not a good thing. Yeah, right? <laughs> And so this belief of more is better ends up affecting, affecting the dynamics of the relationship and other relationships at work. And let's be real, the vast majority of companies, Alex, in our example, has it or might have it that their position means that they're better than their colleagues, but in a way that that has been impressed upon them because this more is better myth belief. It, it, Alex is not consciously it's choosing not like, it i'm better than people it's it's actually a consequence of the culture that's right and that's the key thing about this that's why we called it a myth and not necessarily like a belief per se because it's something that exists like in our society in our culture it's floated around it's handed down to us not explicitly but it's impressed upon us so it's not a chosen conscious belief for us for you for alex it's a cultural belief that has has really been pressed upon us without even knowing. What we're doing here is pulling back the covers on a deep underlying belief or myth that Alex has, that I have, and maybe you, our listener, might have. And we're pulling back these covers just to really become aware of the, the idea that this belief might be at play for you and see it happening in your own life. You've heard it from us before, when you have more awareness of the underlying things that are at play, you actually have more choice on how it is you want to show up in the world. So we have this myth of more is better. We want to invite you to consider an alternative perspective, something to replace this belief with. Consider that you're all playing on the same team with shared goals and that each person has their own responsibilities. What would, what would work look like if more wasn't better, right? If we really owned this idea that each person simply has their own roles and responsibility? What would happen if everyone's job was equally valued through the eyes of everyone at the company, regardless of your title? How would your relationships change? How would the company culture change? Now, obviously, there are some expectations around roles and responsibilities. And yeah, people are getting paid differently. These are just simply questions to wonder about, alternative perspectives to take on. And really the intention behind it is just to loosen the hold that this belief of more is better might have on you. One trap that we also see people fall into is either or thinking. So Alex is really only seeing two options here, boss or friend. And boss in this context to Alex means that they're aligned with the company, 
caring about company objectives over the direct reports experience, pulling back in terms of friendliness. And friend means, well, friend. They put their relationship above all else. So you can already see that this either-or thinking is trapping Alex into seeing limited options. So to recap, after you try your quick fix of setting the intention, getting curious, and co-creating expectations, it may be worth looking at this underlying belief, this myth that pervades maybe your life, definitely society at large, this idea that more is better and how that might be playing a role in the dynamics of uh, your relationship. And to summarize, we really want to bring it back to a question that we asked at the beginning of the episode. How do you strike a balance between this boss friend thing? And we hope that some of what we shared will help you find that balance for yourself because only you're going to have the answers to that. Everyone's going to have their own answers to how it's going to work for them. A perspective that's really made a difference for ourselves and our clients um, when it comes to striking that balance between friend and boss is really taking a look at the differences between compassion versus empathy. So empathy can be defined as feeling what the other person is feeling. So it might look like, you know, someone isn't performing as expected and you feel bad for that person. And then you might tiptoe around giving feedback, not being honest about tough decisions being made. So you might defer your responsibility to your board or team members or the budget, etc. So this might work well in the short term, but this isn't the foundation for a long-term trusting relationship that's needed to get outstanding results. A key thing to remember always in this situation and beyond is that everyone is responsible for their own emotions. When we're being the empathetic leader, we're actually taking on emotions like they're our own, the other people's emotions like they're our own. And that's really not workable. And that's why we love this distinction of uh, compassion and the compassionate leader rather than the empathetic leader. Because the compassionate leader, when we think about the compassionate leader, we think about being lovingly detached. Lovingly detached. Having love love and respect at the vo- as the volition at the base of this, that you, like, you genuinely want them to thrive. But you're detached as well. You're not like, taking on their emotions as your own. A good example that I use around this is if you think of a mother um, and a son, you know, is playing in the street, hurts his knee. The mother comes out. If she's the empathetic mother, she'll sit down on the street and cry with the child, right? A compassionate mother comes out into the street, nurtures the child, and really helps them create a new empowered context to get up and continue playing. Another great analogy that I remember for this distinction is one from the world of nonviolent communication, this idea of the giraffe. The giraffe is often used in nonviolent communication as a kind of a metaphor because it's the it's the land mammal with the largest heart. Yeah. And the giraffe, when the giraffe is interacting, the giraffe has this nice long neck that it can kind of go around and see what the other person is looking at and experiencing, and it can really be with them. But the key is that their four legs are all rooted in the ground in where they're at. And so we want to remember that when we're being with other people and their difficult emotions, it is important to see and experience what they're experiencing. But 
at the same time being firmly grounded in our own experience, in our own emotions, in our own sensations, in our own bodies. Um, that's going to have us lead really effectively and uh, create those amazing and trusting relationships. So if someone isn't performing as expected, the compassionate leader would take it on as their duty to give that person direct feedback as an act of love and respect. And then they would partner with that person to build the skills and experience they need to get the raise, promotion, or the accolades that their employee wants. This is really the foundation of trust because you're holding this person to their highest potential. You know, the, the, what I immediately think of is uh, from Parks and Recreation, Chris Traeger. Oh, yeah. This, this, <laughs> if, I don't know if you've seen this show, our listener, but um, in the earlier seasons, he's the city manager. And he is just like the perfect balance of these this this compassionate leader. He's actually the two extremes, I would say. Yeah, he just like loves everyone so deeply and he's very straightforward about it. And he's like, just tells everyone that they're like, that's like literally the best idea I've ever heard. And then he just will immediately right after that say, and no. <laughs> yeah, he has very firm boundaries. Yeah, that's for sure. he's so good at it. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, I think the most important thing we remember is that this is a practice. Practicing compassion is like detached love for love and respect for someone else is really hard, especially if we have a habit of feeling other people's feelings. I would also say it's a practice to practice the co-creating expectations conversation as well. It's it's a practice to um, drop this this belief that more is that better. more is better that might be holding you back. It's all a practice. We're still practicing. Uh, we encourage you to practice, and when you fall off, that's okay. Yeah, it's totally okay. Yeah, just get back on, try you're, again. You're bound to be successful. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Man, I love giraffes. I know, they're the best, right? This podcast is brought to you by Level 7 Leadership, a leadership group who works with social impact entrepreneurs to develop their leadership skills so that they can take on the world's to-do list, minus the burnout. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can subscribe and leave us a review. Oh, or send us an email. That'd be really fun. And for more information on what we do, you can check us out at level7.is. That's level7 with the number 7.is. Music is by the very talented Shinogo. You can find him on Spotify or wherever you get your music. 